everyone this is the never heard of it podcast i'm sean harwell this is a podcast where we talk about the movies that have fallen right on through my crack and my co-host's crack that's all i want to know about it but say hello co-host craig moorhead hello everyone glad to be here glad you're here listening to you know sean when you're doing my intro there it made me kind of think made me kind of kind of wonder you know, what does it say about our cracks that so far this many movies have fallen through them? At some point, I feel like it's really going to, hmm. Uh, we might need some crack cream, I think is what it says. Maybe, maybe. If you know any good spacklers out there, give us a call. <laughs> Please. You can head on over to neverheardpodcast.com and find everything you need to know to do that. Also, you can find stuff about these movies, which is, that's probably more pertinent and probably more why you're going to go to that website. But hey, equal opportunities. We're on Instagram. We're on Spotify. Oh, man. We are on the iTunes. We are on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere that you begrudgingly want to go. And come say hello. We are wrapping up the month of August here with this episode. And then we're going to take a little break, Craig, because August is one of those weird months that had five Wednesdays in it. And we just, I don't know what the hell we would talk about. I mean, there's nothing, right? That's right. So we're going to come back strong in September. Craig, you're picking the movies uh, we talked about on the day. I'm excited. This, I think we got two good ones. But after that, could always use some suggestions. Yeah. Our suggestion pile, I think, is is running low. It is running a little low, yeah. So um, I don't know. Y'all better do something about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not our fault. <laughs> Stat. No. Uh, Craig, how's everything else going? Man, everything's going really pretty good. I can't complain. Uh, everything's in its right place. How about you? Yeah, dog days of summer. The dogs are barking, ready mm. for September to begin. Woo! Fall is a good time of year, folks. And speaking of fall, it makes me uh, uh, um, it makes me fall into it makes me fall into the into it makes me fall into thoughts of uh, what stuff you've been watching this past week, Sean. <laughs> really? Is that right? How's that for a smooth segue? Craig, I watched some fun stuff these past two odd weeks. Mm-hmm. Went back to the John Waters well, the early oh. John Waters well, and watched Female Trouble. Have you ever seen that movie, Craig? I have not. Oh, man. I might have a new favorite John Waters movie. That movie cracked me the hell up, dude. Oh, wow. It is a great one. Divine, full force in that movie, and... I laughed quite a bit in that thing, man. It's it's crazy. I I highly recommend it. 1974's Female Trouble. It is rated NC-17. It earns nice. that rating. <laughs> There's just a lot of penis in that movie. I'll go ahead and put that out there, just so you know, just uh, just so that's on your radar, Craig. And really, why 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 should that make it <laughs> NC-17? Really, I mean, I'll grant you they're not very fun to look at for me, but. It, it seems a bit much. It's not just anyway. the appearance of the penis. But what the penis is doing. <laughs> I mean, it's John Waters. You know, he's not just going to stand for it. They're throwing oh, a penis yeah. in there, right? No, no. I mean, it's called female trouble, for God's sake. Hey, Craig, I watched Die Hard again for the bunch of the time. Really? What's that about? Oh, uh, you never heard of it? Mm-mm. Okay, well, we'll just skip it and come back to it. Mm-hmm. Now, I watched that and Ghostbusters. Uh, over a lonely nice. weekend, and were they 4K perchance? You know what I was going to say. If you're out there, you got the if you got the option, you got the Apple TV. I, those movies looked fan freaking tastic. I'm 
happy to say I thought they looked gorgeous, and I'm all on board the 4K HDR with the older stuff. I wasn't sure. Maybe Ghostbusters is the oldest 4K movie I've watched so far. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, you know they were awesome, good stuff, obviously. And uh, 2010, the year we make Ooh. contact. First time I've ever sat down and watched that Peter Hyams directed movie. Yeah, you know it felt appropriate to our sci-fi month. Sure, you've seen it, I assume. Oh, I saw it in the theater. No kidding! Wow, in 1984, huh? Yeah, imagine that kid sitting there like, (laughs) I don't understand the baby stuff, but all right. Well, you know, Uh, I mean, it is a lot more straightforward than its predecessor. I'll say that much. It is. It's crazy because there's so many sequences in that movie that are, uh, I think, just flat out great. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's almost like the very concept of the whole movie is a bad idea in some ways. It's like, <laughs> I mean, the whole setup of the movie is to sort of explain what happened in what is kind of undeniably the greatest ambiguous movie of all time. You know? right. It's like, I'm not sure that's a good idea. But if you could ju- just remove it from sure. that other movie. Oh, man, fantastic. Bob Balaban, John Lithgow, all just like killing it killing it the cast is fantastic and the the thing i remember as a kid what made the biggest impression on me from that movie at least i believe this is what happens there is a russian character maybe that's lithgow uh he is not playing a russian character there there are a whole team of russians one of whom is helen mirren actually oh wow i did not remember that but yes one of the russian astronauts who in classic 80s russian comedy fashion just can't get these american sayings right yeah and I remember him saying, oh, this would be a piece of pie. And as a kid, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it, it does slightly buck the trend by having them work together. And the Russians are portrayed as actual human beings, which is nice for that era. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I know Peter Himes definitely has like a lot of fans. And I know some of his later stuff, but... Uh, I gotta go. Yeah. I gotta dig into that a little bit. Filmstruck has a, a bunch of his stuff kind of collated together. So check him out. Craig, what else have you watched, good sir? Well, Sean, amongst a few TV shows that I have started watching, what I watched over the last two weeks was the ultimate longest possible amount of Watchmen that you can watch. <laughs> when you're watching the Watchmen? When you're watching the Watchmen. Yeah. Who's watching the Watchmen? It's me for like nine hours <laughs> watching Watchmen. And it's interesting, like when you're talking about 2010, 2010, when you're talking about 2010. <laughs> 2001 was a great movie too, by the way. one is maybe one of my favorite movies. But uh, how, how it has, it really has stellar moments. It has some good casting and stellar moments. and But the whole thing together is kind of like, I don't know if this is a great idea for a movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it definitely holds together as a comic book. But watching, like, I, was, I wasn't a fan of the original cut. Uh, the one thing I can say is I remember watching that first cut and thinking that Malin Ackerman, uh, who plays, I guess, Silk Spectre 2. She does, yeah. I remember back then thinking, oh, she's terrible in this. And then watching this, I was like, no, she's not terrible at all. <laughs> like, she's actually quite good. I think the movie doesn't really fit together, and it's kind of fascinating to watch in that way. Like, it's, it has just fantastic moments. Zack Snyder, if you need moments, that guy has a bucket of moments with no <laughs> bottom on it. Yeah. But, I mean, there was, it, it's, um, it didn't, it didn't help 
my feelings uh, based on the theatrical one. So, but it's out there. It's on Amazon Prime. Apparently, all three versions are there now. Wow. So if you're kind of a fan of looking at different versions of a movie, mm-hmm. which I am, like, you should definitely check it out because it's uh it's definitely uh, I don't know uh, educational if nothing else. Yeah. I should do that. I, I haven't seen that movie in any version since I uh, saw it in a theater. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't floor me by any means. I thought it was it was okay. Well, I, I do seem to recall, yeah. well, I was just going to say, I, I seem to recall your sentiment about Malin Ackerman being somewhat universal. And I don't feel like that's a name I hear a whole lot since then. No. <laughs> Which sucks then if, if, if there yeah. was a good performance that just got... Put on the cutting room floor. Well, I mean, I guess that's the thing is like, I don't know. Now I don't know what it was I was responding to there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I mean, she is perfectly fine. Like, yeah. she doesn't get to chew the scenery like Rorschach does. The other thing I keep wondering about is this movie. I mean, I guess it came out in 2009 now. And the, you know, the, the comic came out in 86, sure. which I think in 86, it was like a drum, drum bopping. It was like a bomb <laughs> dropping. Because like who had seen superheroes portrayed like this? But like by 2009, it's like, all we have are anti-heroes mm-hmm. like there's nothing especially crazy about this like i like the fact that it exists in kind of a punk kind of way where like you have a superhero movie where you don't know if any of these people like you don't really think any of these people are are the shining light yeah like none of them are the shining light and that's and there's something cool about that but man after four hours <laughs> you're like yeah i get it <laughs> that ain't that cool yeah <laughs> did that include the isn't there like an animated yeah something from that did that yeah. include that as well or no it did and that also goes on too long but again like even that animated the animated part like has really good moments the animation is really interesting but like when you look at that overall story of that animated part you're like that that was i don't know that should have been like a five minute thing like like that was not that did not need like eight interludes to get us to where it took us yeah. like uh, and it's got it's got like a great ending it's got like these great moments but all together oof it's rough <laughs> rough seas well you took one for the team and you know yeah. I, I believe there's uh, an hbo show in development about the watchman so there'll be more coming craig i'll be interested to see i'll be really interested to see i, I kind of feel like that may have been the way to go all along yeah and maybe once there's mm-hmm. like five six seasons of that you can just watch all of that <laughs> and all of the Zack snyder things in one night and mm-hmm. uh well, not one night. I mean, you'll have to shut down the podcast out. for a couple of months so you can watch it. <laughs> Just yeah, so I can absorb everything. It's a lot of Watchmen. Well, anything else uh, from... I did start, finally start watching Better Call Saul. Yeah, I need to do that. Which, I mean, like now that I'm like three, four episodes into it, I don't know why I waited so long. I, I know it was because I figured it's not going to be as good as Breaking Bad. And I'm just going to feel let down. Mm-hmm. But I am, I, I, I'm not going to say it's as good or anything, but like... It definitely has me in its grip. Yeah. In a good way. It's like it's a good show. So cool. Odenkirk is He's great. Man. Yeah. yeah. You can definitely hang your hat on that guy. For sure. Yeah. Uh real quickly actually, I wanted to mention a movie that I had really wanted to find and watch this month <laughs> that I simply couldn't find a, a good copy of anywhere short of buying a DVD from the UK, in fact. Mm-hmm. There's a movie called Akiri XB one. And mm-hmm. I believe it's had a couple different titles, but do you know of this movie, Craig? I have not heard of it. Never heard of it, in fact. It predates 2001. I think it's, what year is this here? Sorry, guys. I don't have that information. But it was written by the author who wrote Solaris, the novel. And if I think about it, I'll put the trailer on our Facebook page. Because it just looks 
gorgeous black and white space from the 60s, I believe. And uh, I got to see it. Anybody who's seen it out there listening, let me know where I can get it and put it in my mailbox. Please do. Cool. Let's see what kind of response we get. (laughs) Probably none. Probably none. (laughs) Akiri XB1, I'm coming for you somehow. Okay, Craig, Mm -hmm. I think it's time we travel to a dark star. Okay, we're there. Okay. It is the future. Mankind has conquered the stars. He moves out to the endless interstellar reaches of the universe. An advanced exploration corps. A new breed of pioneer must seek out unstable planets and destroy them. Drive sequence begun. Hit it, pin back. And you are on the mission of the 21st century planet smashers. Dark Star. Craig, as we talked about last time, this is John Carpenter's first feature-length film. Started in film school with his buddy Dan O'Bannon who wrote Alien and Total Recall and stars in this movie uh, and wrote it and I believe held the ladders and painted the sets and did everything you could possibly do in this movie. Uh, You've got only a handful of actors in this thing, and uh, the others are Brian Norell, Cal Cooneyholm, and Dre Pahich, who that's probably mispronounced, but his voice was uh, overdubbed with John Carpenter's we watched this movie. It's out there on DVD. As I think I mentioned, it's on Fandor, I believe, which you mm-hmm. can stream it if you want to. It's from 1974, if I didn't say that already. Craig, it's an hour yeah. and 23 minutes. I think you knew about this movie, being the Carpenter super fan that you are, but you'd never seen it. You have now. Mm. What'd you think? Man, I, I wasn't prepared for that particular movie. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of funny because... I remember always seeing the box at the video store and it's, you know, it's sold heavily as a John Carpenter movie, but it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. I never rented it, but I always just figured like, it's gotta be some, it's gotta be some really weird, wild stuff. And I mean, it is, but I don't know. It's interesting. I had no idea what to expect at all. I think the only thing I'd ever seen of it was the actual uh, ship that's in it. <laughs> so you, you had a quote from last time from the tee up where I guess Carpenter said it went from being uh, an amazing student film to a so-so, like, regular film. Right. I kind of feel like that's true. Now, there are definitely parts in here that made me laugh. Mm-hmm. But the quality of my copy was definitely not very good. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see, like, man, if they ever did, like, a new scan of this now, where you could, like, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I couldn't see. The sound was not terribly great. So there's some things people said where I was like, I don't even know if they opened their mouth when they said that. Oh, no. Okay. So that will definitely have some amount of impact on, on my viewing experience. But overall, yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of get it. Like, it's fun to watch thinking about how it's a student film, and they really did all that stuff themselves, which is, which I mean, they did a lot. They did a oh lot of God, work yeah. on this. Yeah. And, I mean, it's sort of convincing in its non-convincingness, kind of like Forbidden World in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. It's super fun to watch for that reason, for sure. Did you watch this on DVD? 
I did not, but I believe it was like it it seemed to be from a DVD. Like it it looked like DVD quality. Well, did it have uh, like an opening crawl a la Star Wars? No. Yeah, I got the DVD from the Netflix subscription and it was the Thermostellar, I don't know. There was yeah. it was like a special edition and then there was like some other title to, given to it. But when you press play, it opens up with this crawl a la Star Wars from Dan O'Bannon. I wrote down a bunch of it because some of it was really funny, I thought. So I'll just read some of it here. He said, this movie is a comedy. I wanted to be sure and clarify that right up front because when the film was first released to the paying public, they didn't seem to realize it was supposed to be funny. John and I went (laughs) around to a few of the 40 theaters to see how people liked our movie. It was our first film and we were both wound up tighter than a drum. So we introduced ourselves to the theater manager and said we'd like to take a peek inside to judge the audience reaction. In the sourest tone of voice imaginable, he said, what audience? There were five people in the house and they looked like they were attending a funeral. (laughs) Man, there was some great stuff in there too that I didn't even write down where he was talking about how much that affected his confidence in regards to comedy. Like it took him a long time to ever attempt to write anything funny again. And I'm going to come yeah. back to that in a second, but there was a couple more good tidbits here. One was, uh, they, he said, quote, the ultimate cost was $55,000. And where that came from, I still don't know in regards to the budget. Uh, <laughs> and then we prepared this so-called signature edition because all the existing cassettes that I've seen are of such poor quality, they make me writhe with shame. They look nauseating. <laughs> He also has two trivia questions. One, see if you can tell which character is played by four different actors. Two, see if you can tell which actor in which scene is under the influence of LSD. Uh, And then (laughs) you are under no obligation to laugh unless I'm in the room. And then he, he was out. I really like got a kick out of that. It was a great way to sort of like start off the movie. That's pretty good. Yeah. Sadly, I think I would have probably been one of those people in the theater that wasn't laughing as much as is he and John Carpenter probably would have liked. And yeah. I, I mean, I think that's just the biggest problem with this movie is it's just not funny enough. Yeah. And there there are moments that are great, and there are moments that did get like a good like chuckle out of me and a good laugh out loud moment here and there. There's some humor which I think kind of is at least attempting to sort of fall in the like strange love sort of tone, I guess, or, or style yeah. of satire. Some of that works, but I just think there's not enough of it. And you're absolutely right. I think you can feel this movie being stretched out to be a feature. And there are yeah. some sequences that are incredibly long and not funny. However, I do think one of those probably is directly responsible for the movie Alien happening. Sure. <laughs> it's hard not to think about that movie when watching this and watching literally Dan O'Bannon, the writer, try to track down this thing. Let me ask this before before we really dive sure, into the yeah. movie. You know, recently I was listening to this interview with uh, Kumail Nanjiani and uh, Emily Gordon, you know, the, the folks who wrote uh, The Big Sick. Yep. And, and they were talking about the process of writing that and giving it to Judd Apatow and getting notes back and all that stuff. So... Writing comedy, basically. From what I've heard, you also write some comedy. Now... Eh, that's debatable, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's a poor joke. Sean, you've actually written a lot of very funny stuff. Well, thank you, Greg. And you've obviously been through the process of getting notes and stuff like that. So the thing that Judd apparently 
would do. And I, well, and I guess he did this uh, at, actually after when they were in post-production. He was like, okay, like they've got kind of an okay cut of the movie. And he said, okay, now put 50 more jokes into it. Mm-hmm. Just find 50 jokes and put them in there. Do it with ADR, do it with whatever you got to do. Get 50 more jokes in there. And then they did that and they tested it. And then they were like, okay, well, these are places where like no one laughed and we'll take those jokes out. And then you had your movie. And they were, and, and Kumail and his wife were both just like, we couldn't believe, you know, we actually could put 50 more jokes in there. And we did. And like 45 of them were like worked really well. So just in a relation to this movie where, yeah, there are not a lot of laughs. Mm-hmm. Like, does that, does that sound like something that, uh, is that something that would regularly happen? Like, are you in, in, in post and they're kind of like, well, let's shove some more stuff in there. What's, I don't what's know about post. I mean, that's age is not a side that I've been privy to a lot of, as far as like being in the room there to mm-hmm. see. And, and yet I'm thinking of some of the stuff I've done specifically on TV. I just don't think you quite have that luxury. I mean, there have been some yeah. reshoots and some additions and some of those definitely for humor, but not a whole lot of massive changes. The campaign had a completely different ending, but I mean, that's, that's not really unusual at all. I don't think, you know, and it wasn't, right. it was about finding a humorous ending for sure, but it was about just, you know, you got it in the story and it's got to like wrap up and, and you want the best sure. possible one too. So that again, is like, I don't think that's just strictly driven by humor, but it's funny because I definitely, and I'll throw this out too. I'm like, yeah, just do it. Yeah, you, when I'm reading somebody's script, say, yeah, you just, you know, you can just do a joke pass. That's what they call it. Like when you get, you know, closer to the end. And like that's been talked about so much, and yet I feel like I've never, it's never been like just sat down and done one of those and done a joke. Which pass. Maybe explains a few things. No, <laughs> but no, and I don't know anybody that well, really like I've never felt like in those writers' rooms or anything. Like, yeah, okay, now let's just go back through it and do some jokes i think right a lot of that probably simply happens on set and maybe like with the big sick it just it didn't necessarily but you know especially sure. if there's more than one writer or a lot of director like david gordon green especially i mean he's just throwing out lines and i know judd and those guys yeah, yeah, do yeah. that too like for the actors to just get as many possible takes and adam mckay as well to get yeah you got a couple options as far as jokes but always trying to rework stuff on set and and find more humor but yeah, yeah f- adding 50 after the whole thing's been done, that's kind of crazy. That's impressive. I don't think well, yeah. that conversation happened with this movie, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and, I, and I, I, I guess that's the thing. Like, I keep thinking about, you know, you know, as students, like, they haven't, like, really, you know, been able to be, like, seasoned yeah. in what's going on. But, like, it kind of makes me think about, you know, somebody who is more seasoned just looking at it and saying, well... You know, you kind of need a joke coming in and a joke going out or, you know, just just some kind of rules of thumb where you're just like, no, like this is not you have like one solid joke in this scene. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, what is I don't know, what is the tone you're just to get into the movie? I feel like this like it starts off with this guy, this communication from home. Yeah. And like I felt like that was kind of funny. Like it kind of felt it kind of set a good funny tone to me. Yeah. He was talking about the request for radiation shielding and how it's been denied. (laughs) But it's like, I know you guys will make do and make us proud because you're all heroes. (laughs) It's just like, no, it sounds like. And what you know, one guy has already died on the spaceship. And the time between messages is years. (laughs) And so it's just like, uh, you know, that was, I like that setup. And yeah. uh, And it gave me a lot of hope too because it was like, 
I bet the guy in this movie is just a film student. Like he's just one of their buddies, right? He did. He doesn't sure. look old enough to be like the kind of person of authority to actually be sending this message. But that just oh, like yeah. added to the humor of it. Yeah, I, like it definitely feels like, hey, let's get our buddies together and make a yeah, movie because sure. that's that's definitely who's in here. And clearly, the, the way they did their their credits, like they were, uh, you know, just making up names for each other. Yeah. So that didn't seem like it was just like five dudes. <laughs> yeah. Making a movie, right? Just one more thing on the on the comedy thing. I mean, specific to this movie, yeah. I can also just see there's a version that you take out 15, 20 minutes, and just by the sheer yeah. nature of the pacing of it, it feels funnier. You know? Yeah. Because it is. It's like you're saying. It's like, well, you can then put that joke that's in the sort of like outro of the scene a little bit closer, or in some cases, a lot closer to the next joke. You know? And so, yeah. like the movie as a whole, I think would feel funnier. But that said, Craig, yeah. you know, we haven't actually given the synopsis to this thing, which is my fault. So maybe we should do no that now. No one knows now. what we're talking about. Yeah. It's pretty easy to figure out. Nonetheless, IMDb, in the far reaches of space, a small crew, 20 years into their solitary mission, find things beginning to go hilariously wrong. That's a little generous and vague. What they're actually doing is you've basically got three guys in a cockpit in this very tight triangular quarters, so to speak, for the, for the most of it, where the like sort of mission control areas and they are looking for planets that are unstable in their rotation and their orbit could spin out of orbit and collide with the sun causing a supernova which would be bad for earth uh and so they bomb the hell out of these planets and blow them up which is as a job that's pretty great pretty and they enjoy doing it greatly <laughs> uh, which is is pretty cool too and then there is a fourth person on this ship who basically is in the lookout bubble on top of it and just <laughs> likes hanging out up there. That is Captain Talby, if I'm not mistaken, played by the aforementioned Dre Pahich. Right. Whatever his name is. I will I will guess that he was the one under the influence of LSD. I would guess so too, although I'm not positive. Yeah. I didn't find the answers mm-hmm. to those uh, on the DVD special features and I looked. Mm-hmm. That is kind of it. There are some living quarters and there is a, another person who is physically on the ship but is frozen in a sort of cryogenic chamber after dying but he's still connected via wires to some sort of communication thing and i guess technically his brain is alive we'll get to that because that did make me laugh actually but that is the very very end of the movie they were saving that one which again like if this had been a really like sh- like a 25 minute student film man this would have killed like i think oh yeah you know i definitely want to see that version but that's it. These guys have been in space for a long time. You know, gro- the beards have grown out. The little things are starting to bother them. Uh, you've got Sergeant Doolittle, I think. Lieutenant Doolittle, excuse me, played mm-hmm. by Brian Norell. He's probably got the biggest, curliest hair of everybody and the largest beard. Uh, <laughs> I did see an interview with Brian Norell on the DVD where he talked about the fact that he was in film school with them and also interested in acting and was a roommate of John Carpenter's and John said, Hey, will you just be in this? And he said, sure. It was supposed to take, I think like a month and it took him three years and he had to keep the hair and the beard the entire time. So, <laughs> so he said that got pretty old pretty quick. Uh, you've got Boiler played by Cal Cunahome, who I enjoyed his haircut, Craig. Yes. I want to say it's, it's sort of a Prince Valiant kind of vibe going on. A little He-Man-esque. Uh, uh-huh. of sorts and he's got a Fu Manchu 
he looks so familiar to me, even though I know the actor's not. I mean, I know that guy hasn't been in anything, but just there's some other character, I think, that he made me think of um, that I don't have an answer for. Uh, and then there's Dan O'Bannon playing Sergeant Pinback, who we come to find out later in the movie. <laughs> and this was another one of the jokes that worked well for me was uh, he actually was just a fuel maintenance guy uh, when they were taking off and he was like taking one of the fuel vats either towards the space shuttle or away from it when one of the astronauts came off of the shuttle naked out of his mind and jumped in the fuel vat. And so to protect himself and save the guy, he put on the astronaut's suit to go into the vat and get him but was then stopped by somebody else who said, what are you doing? We got we got to launch in 10 minutes. You get back on the ship. And mis- mistook <laughs> him for that. Yeah, he really shouldn't be up there at all. The movie is mostly split between Pinback and Doolittle as far as screen time, I would say, as far mm-hmm. as anyone who gets much of an arc. Although Talby kind of does, but it's just more just as like people talking about Talby and the fact that he doesn't want to eat with him and he doesn't really come down from the dome much. Right. I mean, that that's kind of it, you know. They're out there floating around and there's been some issues with the ship and they've got a passenger that's not human on board and they're blowing up planets, which I think is all ripe stuff for comedy, but yeah, somehow it doesn't quite come together. Now, I did love the title sequence, Craig. There's a song, oh, yeah. a country song, called Benson, Arizona, I think, that I believe Carpenter mm-hmm. wrote and performed, but not the lyrics and the vocals. or so. I, I don't know what that means exactly, or if it was a cover, or I don't know. I, I looked at the credits, and now I'm blanking. Right. But I thought that was a nice touch. Like, I, I don't know that I've seen another movie set in space that uses country music that way. Am I... Am I blanking on an obvious one well i mean i guess the 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 one that comes to mind for me immediately is is the tv show firefly okay see i'm which was really kind of built as a western in space but but no really not other than that i'd i'd have a hard time figuring out too well and this is way ahead of that so i wonder if uh old joss whedon is a fan of this movie perhaps yeah but it was a nice touch. It added a nice little sequence. There's some decent planet models in this movie, you know? And the mm-hmm. nebula and the stars are okay. And then the, describe the ship, because I know you mentioned you had seen that or you were familiar with like what that looked like prior to watching the movie. Yeah. But uh, it's it's definitely one of a kind. One of a kind. Well, I, I guess that's the thing, yeah. Like, the, the the outside of the ship or the inside of the ship? Uh, the, well, maybe we should just talk about both a little bit. But the outside is what I was thinking yeah. of because, I mean, just of how ridiculous it kind of looks. It kind of looks like, a, I mean, it kind of looks like just like a paper airplane mm-hmm. in a way that's a ship. And it has a bubble on top, which is a little weird. That's where Talby sits and, like, watches everything. But, but to my mind, honestly, the ship is one of the things that kind of doesn't help the humor to me because unless I'm really missing a joke here, and maybe like you could definitely explain it to me, Probably not. but like the ship kind of looks not terrible, honestly, like dark star is written on the side of it and kind of of a cool font. Like for, 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 um, for guys who don't have a ton of money, that ship doesn't look too bad to me. And, and it's not really a funny shape No, So, so it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it's the Dark Star. 
I mean, my only thought was that it, it kind of looks like a toy to me. I mean, it, you know, there's something about it that I, sure. I don't think it's fooling anyone that this is like a model. But gotcha. no, as far as like it, they're not wise, getting yeah. a, a gag per se out of it. No. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, maybe you are right. Like it's uh, you could have really gone cheesy with it and like show a string or the fishing wire or whatever, and uh, you know, really just ham it up that this is completely fake and not trying to be mm-hmm. real. I don't know. I don't know if that would be better or, or worse. Uh, it's hard for me to say without <laughs> seeing it, you know? Because yeah. I've definitely seen that joke before. But Right. I will say, I, I think there's little flourishes, though, along with, like, seeing where O'Bannon possibly was inspired to write Alien. There's definitely moments. I, I think, for me, this is the biggest joy of watching this movie is just, like, A, John Carpenter didn't come out of the womb making amazing movies. That's always like mm-hmm. nice to find out, like a relief to me at least to know that mm-hmm. some of these guys, you know, these guys had to, had to work for it. But I do think there are little flourishes where it's like, oh, man, there's some cool choices being made here with the camera and stuff. And one of them is right there in the very beginning. And when you're inside this ship and you're kind of close on Doolittle, I think, and you sort of move back and you realize like, Oh, these guys are literally right beside each other. You know, one's facing one way, one's facing the other way, one's facing the same way. You know, and uh, yeah, it felt like um, it felt like that was a bit of a little tracking shot of some kind, and mm-hmm. not just a zoom. I don't know. I liked it. I got excited. It's like, oh man, like how stylistic is this going to be camera wise? And it's not completely consistently awesome. I don't think. No. But there's moments here and there. There are some really clever camera moments for sure. Yeah, the elevator scene. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll the elevator scene is exactly what I was okay, thinking about. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll get to that. Okay. Okay. One thing I'd like to talk about here at the top is how good, at least to me, how good their uh, sort of you know command room, command center room mm-hmm. looks. Uh, like how convincing it looks, even though yeah, those are ice cube trays that are lit from by. Yeah. But also, I, I, I don't know if this is a subtle joke or not, but I found it funny, is like how little room they have. Oh, this yeah. is the, 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 the situation they're in doesn't make any sense. Like why you would have to sit the way they're sitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like who would design something that you would have to like, I don't know. Like I, I think there's only one entry point. There seemed to only be one entry point to that room. Mm-hmm. So. Well, okay, Boiler, you got to go in first, and then Doolittle, you're next. Yeah, <laughs> We all pile in. What if there's a fire? You guys are toast. I know. It, so. It's crazy. And then, like, you see their barracks, which they I can't remember exactly what the, the circumstances were, but there was some reason why I think their bedrooms had been in a different area, but now they had to move down to here. And, like, it straight up looks right. like either it's like a dorm room and a storage right. unit combined. And like somebody, the word like boiler, like boiler wrote his name on there. And then one guy's got like a <laughs> bunch of pornography above his cot. And uh, that's it. But I mean, they're right on top of each other. Yeah. And, and, and I like that. Like, I like that claustrophobic yeah. feeling. I think, I think their uh, I think their barracks blew up in the same thing that okay, they killed, killed their commander. Yeah. I think. Or sorry, there was radiation leak or something. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is a, a testament to, like, you know, making good use of what you got, you know. And I just remember it did make me think about film school, you know. And I feel like one of the absolute biggest hurdles 
of those like f- the movies we made our first two years, right? Mm-hmm. One of which was at least my first year was shot on a sound stage, and then the second year we got to go kind of off campus or where we want, right? And these are five right. minute films and then ten minute films. The biggest hurdle, I think, for a lot of them, for me especially, well, one of the biggest, obviously I had a laundry list of hurdles uh, at that point, (laughs) was production design. Like, that shit is hard to pull together, period. It takes time, and it takes a lot of work, and it takes money to make something, especially on a stage, or even a, a dorm room, for God's sakes, unless it's literally a dorm room that you're trying to, like, make look like a dorm room, you know unless it's literally set in a dorm room, it looks like crap. Like, it looks like crap. And it is hard to make it look remotely natural or believable to anything else. And, yeah, I think these guys, they they did that, and they found ways to, like, make that work for them and make it, you know, at least attempt to be humorous, you know, whether the jokes worked or not. Right. It was kind of impressive. Even the ice cube trays. Like, if, if we hadn't talked about that, I don't know if I would have looked at that and go, oh, yeah, it's ice cube trays, you know? Yeah. I don't know the background of these, but like the, uh, the just the graphic design of the displays, yeah, look great. Mm-hmm. Like generally, they look fantastic to me. Yeah, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's. I don't know. I, I want to say it's convincing. It's convincing enough. Like it's, it looks kind of cool, and uh, I don't know. It looks like what I'd want it to look like. I thought they were honestly better future. than what we saw in Forbidden World. You know. Which yeah. had a much yes. much bigger budget. Yeah, that that font that they use in this on everything, always it makes me mm-hmm. think of like every box art for Atari games. You know, those yeah. like every single yeah. one of them was like the font that they use, and it's kind of perfect. You know. Yeah. Now I liked that. I loved actually. I thought they got a good joke out of this sort of like version of the captain's log, the ship's log that Doolittle has to do. <laughs> and yeah. uh, there's one where he's like talking and just saying what's going on and they're looking for this and then and then like Pinback will pop his head in and whisper something to <laughs> Doolittle and what he said was like whatever it was that killed Commander Powell continues to be faulty and then he starts talking about something else and then Pinback pops his head back in and so right he said uh, and because it's right next to him it continues to bother Pinback or <laughs> just like I just like how they did that you know I mean that to me is where like that in the very opening, it was like, man, yeah, put more of those sort of the jokes of how like formal communication is supposed to be when you're in space, you know, and just like all that lingo. Yeah. Even like watching 2010, you know, just the way they talk back to the to the home, to, to Mission Command and all this stuff. When they leaned into that, I thought they got some good humor out of it. Totally agreed. Yeah. This ship definitely has its own version of how they don't give it a name, if I remember correctly. The mm-hmm. female voice on here. Occasionally, she got some jokes in there, which I liked. Yeah, she's just known as Computer, I guess. Yeah, Computer. And uh, there was one where it's like, congratulations, you've decided to clean the elevator or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> uh, but the yeah. ship also has a bomb bay, and they b- drop these bombs on the planets that they are wiping out of existence. And the bombs themselves are voice controlled and activated and in in particular they talk to bomb number 20 now how did that work for you number one i like the idea of the talking bomb yeah i did too that definitely felt like the movie perked up and they're talking with the bomb Mm -hmm. and 
especially later when they're really trying to reason with a bomb. Yeah, and it's got a funny uh, voice too. I thought actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it had a perfect, had a kind of a perfect demeanor to it. Here's the thing: I kept thinking, and I and I thought this through the whole thing, and and it kind of to me it became a sort of unspoken joke in the movie. And maybe it's really not subtle at all, and I'm just an idiot. But there is no way to tell how large this ship is. That's a good point. It's like so so their you know their cockpit is so tiny, and like they have this hallway that's I mean barely a hallway. There's nothing there. But when they when this bomb comes out, this is bomb number twenty, I guess. Mm-hmm. I assume yeah. they've been doing this for twenty years. This bomb comes out. And then they drop the thing. It looks like it's the size of a tractor trailer. It would have to be, I would imagine, yeah. Right. So where are all these bombs stored? And there's an elevator shaft in an elevator on this ship. Yeah. (laughs) So that that kind of became funny to me because at first it felt like it was as small as your basement, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, then then, yeah, this other thing, you know, this bomb comes out and you're like, but it's really not, is it? Because Doolittle talks to it at the end and Doolittle's like, seems to be just as tall as it. But still, it's still like the size of a car. Anyway, right. um, kind of a yeah, kind of another thing that was kind of funny. I, I hope they purposefully just decided not to even worry about I can't, keeping I mean, perspectives yeah. correct. I, I don't think they had a choice, probably because probably not. Clearly, they yeah. were limited as as far as what they had location wise to even yeah. pull this off. But as a comedic device, like that, totally, I I, I liked talking bombs. That was really yeah. Fun. It is kind of funny, and I'm surprised I haven't seen it used. Similarly, I guess, because mm-hmm. in a way it does make sense. And like, there's just something absurd enough about the idea of a bomb that can talk in an arm itself. And that, that yeah. feels like, oh, yeah, that, that definitely is going to exist, you know, if it doesn't already. <laughs> I wondered if perhaps, because that was one of the trivia questions you'll recall, maybe, um, was a character played by four different actors, if that is what they were talking about if the voice of it changed because there was a there was one time where hmm. i'm like hmm i wonder if different people did the voice for that thing and that's what they're talking about but i don't know there's no way to find out i'll never be able to find out it's just i'm sure it's not on the internet right craig uh no okay, good no the internet tends to not have things about <laughs> sci-fi on it Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a relief well i i yeah. think maybe we've come to the time where we should talk about the alien on this ship craig Let's talk about the alien. Sorry to interrupt your recreation, fellows, but it is time for Sergeant Pinback to feed the alien. Oh, I don't want to do that. May I remind you, Sergeant Pinback, that it was your idea in the first place to bring the alien on board. If I may quote you, you said the ship needed a mascot. Oh, I have to do everything around here. I won't make you... Well, you can describe the alien if you would like, but it, it it's literally a... Uh, and I wondered about this because it was in the Ebert quote. It's a beach ball, Craig. Oh, yeah. It is an inflated beach ball that has been painted different colors, and they use what looked to be sort of like a creature from the Black Lagoon costume hands, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, sort of as the feet of this thing. And it bounces around a bit and makes a little bit of, of noise. Let me a, ask you this. Were you in any way prepared for how much real estate that thing was going to get after its introduction? No. And that was a long sequence, right? That's another bit of business. that Because that, that goes into our elevator business. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and that definitely felt like stretching. We are oh, stretching. Man. Yeah, because it it seems like such a bad design that all you could do is get a quick laugh out of it. Right. And, then, and like, if he had just gone in there and like thrown a handful of food on the floor and there was a beach ball in the corner and he walked out, I would have cracked up and like, and if they'd never sure. mentioned it again, like that would have been the greatest thing on the planet. Uh, but no, it's, it's nuts. Like he, I can't remember. He tries to feed it and then it runs away. And then it's just, it ends up becoming this like extended altercation scene where he's following it and then he's like involved like they're stuck on an elevator shaft which they get some humor out of that like the elevator shaft it was a nice i I did like how that was revealed because he's spent all this time crawling through these dark corridors and then it lights up and it's like the elevator shaft is in use please clear the area and like he can't he's stuck right and i can see there and, and all of that like again like okay here you go. This is like early foundation carpenter action stuff, right? You know, it's right. like he's working on building T- tension out from suspense this. Suspense and yeah, yeah, totally. Here comes the elevator, and it like just stops right up against this guy's face, and then he gets <laughs> in the elevator. He breaks into this little bottom door, but he gets stuck. He's pressing buttons, and one of them is to set off the uh, explosive bolts that will blow the bottom of it off. But meanwhile, he's stuck in here. So, like, all of that stuff, yeah, like, suspense-wise, it's kind of cool just to see it work. But it felt like a different movie in in, in some ways to me. And it's just pinned back. And, like, there's not a lot of cutting back to the rest of the crew. I mean, right? Yeah, well, and and that's the thing, too, is it, is it, it goes on so long... Then I start asking myself, who's using the elevator? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like these guys have. Same here. I don't think have ever. I think no one actually rides on an elevator, do they? No. And there's only In like the yeah, thing. there's two so, other guys on yeah. the ship right now. Uh, sort of, you know, with it's the like there's a the guy society in the of people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, using the elevator. So, and like I wouldn't if it was a short, quick scene. I wouldn't really even have thought about that. But it it really does go on for a long time. It's kind of entertaining, especially when you like come to realize that he's just on the floor and that they've made this hallway right. to look like like super clever, like really cool stuff. Again, if somebody did that it's at film bad, school, yeah, that would have been everybody's favorite oh movie God, for like yeah. a couple months. It would just be yeah. like that's that was awesome, right? Uh, so it's like a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, it just. Story-wise, you're like, well, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, my god! What is this about? And it really, in some ways, felt like all of that was to serve the purpose of Pinback getting out of all this and finally shooting that alien and then holding up the deflated beach ball, basically. Yeah. <laughs> there is some comedy served in that moment, but, mm-hmm. man, it is, a, it is a workout to get there. I'm sorry to say yeah. Dan O'Bannon. After this, I think we're kind of playing into the fact that Pinback is increasingly feeling like he's not welcome there or he's being ignored by Boiler and Doolittle. And that's when he sort of tells a story about how he accidentally got on the ship and he's not a real astronaut, which I did think it was funny that halfway through this story, Boiler and and Doolittle are just like, didn't he? He told us this four years ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think it was four years. And so Finback's just over there, you know, revealing all this stuff that to the audience, I was like, oh, the guy, this is crazy. Like, he, he's literally like a dumbass who's not supposed <laughs> to be up here. But let's see. It's somewhere along the process. 
What caused the malfunction of the laser, Craig? Why can I not remember that? I know I can see that little door. Yeah. And I remember something hitting it from out in space, correct? Uh, yes, I thought that was true, too. Hmm. The Dark Star is hit by a bolt of electromagnetic energy during a storm. That's right, the asteroid storm, yes. I mean, it's not like rocks hitting them, like what you think of like traditional asteroids. No, I don't think so. No, but it was, yeah, it had like that weird little electrical band around it. Yeah. And uh, Talby seems to be the only one even like aware or concerned about all this, uh, if, if memory serves. And mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like what it's building to is like these guys are they can't get the bombs to drop because of this malfunction. And then they can't, there's like a miscommunication between the computer and the bomb and the bomb won't go back up into the bomb bay, and the bomb just thinks it's supposed to detonate after a certain number of minutes. And uh, they try reasoning with it and uh, try explaining phenomenology, I believe. was Phenomenology. (laughs) Working in some philosophy. It's in that moment of of panic that Doolittle is, is forced to do the only thing he can think to do, and that is to go talk to Commander Powell which is the body that's been frozen down in the freezer. I don't know. That stuff made me, kind of made me laugh. Yeah. I liked the voice that they used. It was like, oh, like sort of high and, and he talked like this a little bit. And, you totally. know, Doolittle is like panicking because they're about to die in like 10 minutes if they can't get this stupid bomb to listen to them and go back up into the bomb bay. And like this body, this cryogenically body froze. was like, I will help you, but first I must ask you one thing. What is it? And he was like, he asked about the Dodgers and how they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good joke, right? That's it's a nice. solid joke. I mean, the guy, yeah, the guy's dead. You're just hearing his mind talking. He's mm-hmm. all, he's in like a big block of ice. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of a cool look. All right. I like the way they set that up. It becomes pretty pretty quickly clear that that guy is not going to be of much help and time is is, is ticking away there. And then um, yeah, I do think, yeah, he made the suggestion to talk philosophy to the bomb, correct? Yes, and yeah. I'll say that was another joke that I liked. I think before, yeah, it was kind of funny. just before he said that, okay, so the whole setup here is you got a dead guy, you got wires taped to his head. Maybe they're supposed to be coming out of his head. And Doolittle's talking to him and like hearing his voice. Uh-huh. And at some point when he's about to tell Doolittle what he should do, I think this is what happened anyway. He's about to tell Doolittle what he should do. And like there's interference. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, okay. So good, you could yeah. talk to the guy's what, what? brain yeah. and then write it. The, yeah. So that was pretty clever. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That made me laugh. Yeah. So Doolittle starts talking about, you know, the inevitability of, of what they're doing and this philosophical discussion uh, happens with the bomb itself that ends with the bomb saying, hmm, I must think on this further and goes back in the ship. And so you think like the ship is saved. I think they even got in the line in the beginning. There was darkness, right? The bomb says something yeah. about that. Uh, Boiler and Pinback are definitely going crazy inside the ship. I don't remember the exact circumstance. I guess, yeah, Doolittle had gone out of the ship in a suit with a jetpack to yeah. to the bomb bay itself to have that discussion with the bomb. But then, yeah, after saying um, in the beginning there was darkness, Pinback says, hey, bomb. And then the bomb says, let there be light. And boom, yeah. the ship blows up. Doolittle and Talby are out there floating around in space. You see the frozen corpse of Commander Powell go floating by, which is a nice <laughs> little... 
Nice little yeah. joke there. Yeah. Talby gets pulled off with the asteroids, I think, again, or the electrical storm of some kind, right? Was it a storm? I can't remember. But, but yeah, something comes in that's kind of glittery. It's not like the other storms that we saw. Right. And it's kind of glitterly, uh, glittery, and it kind of grabs onto him and is taking him away, and he starts glowing. And it was yeah. like, seemed like a happy ending for him. Doolittle, who's told a story about surfing in Malibu previously, find, there's like all this debris floating around, one of which supposedly had THX 1138 written on it, but I didn't see it. <laughs> but he grabs a piece of it and rides it like a surfboard down to the down to the Dark Star planet. It's a solid ending. It was a pretty cool ending. And again, yeah. definitely, I think, maybe a little, little strange love. Yeah. Uh, riding out in a blaze of glory. But I don't know, man. I, I feel like it's a strong enough and funny enough ending that I still, like, it makes me lament the fat in this movie even more yeah. you know it's like it would be a fun editing project to just go back through and trim this thing way the hell down and like see if you could find that sort of like awesome 25 30 minute version of this thing yeah no absolutely i, I may give that a shot you should do that next week i'm gonna do that for all of us oh good but no, anything mm-hmm. else you want to you want to mention from dark star and we jumped around a little bit um it's one of these movies that yeah when when the plot gets stretched out like that and there's not a whole whole lot going on it's easy to skip things. Turns out, it is. It is. Well, I, I guess the only other thing that we didn't, I, that we didn't really specifically talk about, that was pretty funny. You talked about it in the tee up, was that their helmets were these oh, yeah. toy helmets for kids that they kind of retrofitted and and put some stuff on, and I mean these helmets are pretty ridiculous, and Very. it's not. There's not really a clear joke to it. It's just that clearly this would not be something you'd want to put on your head to go out because you can't see anything. No, they can't. <laughs> you would not be able to see only what's directly in front of you. And so there's something about that that, that really made me laugh. Yeah, kind of silly looking. And then definitely noticed the muffin tins. Yes. And it looked like just sort of like a regular like a brownie pan almost. Right. Beneath that even. And the space shoot there being economical. And um, Brian Norell, who played Doolittle in the interview on the DVD, mentioned that on the back of the spacesuit was part of the styrofoam packaging from a girlfriend's friend's TV that she had just got. That He was like, hey, don't throw that away. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Some of that stuff, like Forbidden World, it's filmmaking charm, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially, like, if anybody's been to film school, I, I don't know. I, I think there's some pleasure to be had in just watching this movie and thinking about just a group of people just getting together and making this thing happen. Yeah. It is pretty damn ambitious for a yeah. no-budget film school movie, and less so for a, a mainstream theatrical movie at a time when... uh yeah, Star Wars is just around the corner. Yeah. I think that's Dark Star. Obviously, good things were about to happen for a lot of those people involved. And uh, it's pretty cool to see where they started, Craig. It is, Sean. And I'm glad we could shed a little light on this movie that no one else has ever seen before. <laughs> well, speaking of, last thing, yes. Brian Norell also talked about that a little bit and how surprisingly he, he does get recognized every now and then for being in this movie and he's met Spielberg and a few others that have talked about how much they enjoyed watching this so I, you yeah. know it's got its fans out there it seems like for sure and if you're one of those we'd love to hear from you if not keep your mouth keep shut. it to yourself <laughs> keep it to yourself no it's fine we take all opinions good and bad Craig we're coming back yeah. in September 
two more movies. I'm excited. They're not set in space, I don't think. Could be Mm -hmm. wrong. We'll get into it then. T-Up will come first. But before then, do you have any last words for us tonight? Uh, I do this time, Sean. Oh, man. I've been thinking about these last words for the last half an hour. I haven't listened to a single thing you've said. You didn't miss much. Okay, cool. Let there be light. That's that's pretty appropriate. I like it. All right, see you next time. See you.